All right, welcome back to the podcast. And I am excited for you to meet my new friend, Jessica. She is a, a pastor out on the West Coast, and it's hard to explain her ministry. It's a very creative. Uh, she's an artist. She paints incredible paintings. And so I guess you're just going to have to listen to the episode because she does a great job uh, defining what it is that she does. I guess I would call it spiritual discernment using artwork. Jessica is part of the Free Methodist Church, but she does have a background in the Vineyard Church. And so you'll hear some of that expressed as she is probably a little more charismatic than your average Free Methodist pastor. But I found her spirit very encouraging. I mean, it's hard to not be positive when you're around her and to just anticipate God's best for yourself and for others and for your ministry. And so I have her do a little, I have her do some spiritual discerning work at the end of the episode, prophetic word for the listeners. So maybe it's for you, maybe it's not for you, but I think that you will be encouraged by this episode and you'll be encouraged to explore what is uh, sometimes known as imaginative prayer. That's a spiritual practice going back to our desert mothers and fathers. And she has really tapped into that as a spiritual discipline for herself and for others and blesses others through it. Anyway, you'll be encouraged. I do have one more episode coming for the Neurodivergent uh, Neurodivergent series, and that will be launching soon. But I have a couple of these that have been in the queue waiting for me to edit and put out there. So I wanted to make sure that Jessica's got posted um, since it's been a while since we've recorded it. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? Anyway, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad that you are here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here too. Thanks for asking me to do this. Yeah, and I didn't really get to talk to you much at the clergy conference, uh, but I got to see all your art from afar, and it was beautiful, and you did a workshop, too. Yeah, great question. So my workshop was about how do we engage with God and encounter God through our imaginations, so a lot of people showed up and thinking I was going to teach them how to paint or something like that. And I was like, no, I'm actually not great at that. But what I am really passionate about is how to show people that God likes to use their imagination and speak through their imagination. And so we went into scripture and modern day examples, and then I had them practice and it was a blast. There were some people that had never received a picture from God before who were all of a sudden getting them for themselves and for other people. And it was just so much fun. I love this idea, you know, that God uses all, like we, we are creative beings, right? That not only because we've been created in his image, but because he's creative, we are also creators. And it kind of came through this, we had like the Renaissance era, right? Where mm-hmm. people were so passionate of using their imagination and their gifts to express God. And then it seems like we went into this other direction where all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's from the, the devil. Like, I don't understand how it's from the devil, but all of a sudden our imaginations are evil. And um, I think that's why I appreciated seeing you there, your booth, your workshop, and just this unabashed um, 
exploration of the creative as well as the creator. Now, you do have a call to ministry, which not all of my guests are necessarily ordained or moving towards ordination, but you you are moving towards ordination. So let's talk, let's talk about your call first, and then I want to go back and talk about this idea of creativity uh, and how you, how you explored that. If they're too intertwined, we may have to reverse the question. Well, as you know, most things in life are intertwined, especially when it has to do with your calling and with God. So, well, oh, yeah. we might have to jump around a little bit, but great question. So I was really privileged to grow up in a Christian home. My dad is a professional marriage counselor. He almost thought that his call was to ministry. And so he almost became a pastor, but then someone saw his gift to be able to counsel and lead people that way. And so that's what he's done for his whole professional career. He owns his own business, has his own practice up in Alaska, which is where I was born and raised. As he was doing that, he came to a point around the time that I was in high school where he was being led by the Lord to learn how to discern the Lord's voice better in his own life. He started reading authors like John Eldridge, Walking with God, uh, Wild at Heart, and as he was doing that, he was feeding that material to me as well. And God started putting him in situations where he was learning about deliverance ministry more. It's a lot more blatant spiritual warfare up in Alaska than it is down here in the States. Sometimes he has clients and connections to ministries in the native villages up there. And things can get a little wild, more like a third world country. Some of the crazy stories that you hear, they happen up there. So as I was graduating, I was getting more on fire for God. I was um, going to a conservative church that I had chosen to go to myself and was getting really invested in the word, but it was a church that was um, dispensational and didn't believe in women in leadership at all. So I was kind of bummed about that because I knew that I had a call to teach and to be a leader and they were not recognizing that. So I just dug into the word and that was great. But as I was listening to my dad's stories, I asked him if I could go with him to some of the conferences he did in the bush of Alaska. And after I graduated, I got to go twice. And it was life-changing and amazing. The first one that I went to, my dad got permission for me to sit in on some of the deliverance ministry prayer stuff that he was doing there. And I was just in the back listening watching, praying, and it was really dramatic. And I watched God just bring freedom to the people they were praying for. And it was amazing. But it also started making me question, you know, do I have any, any spirits of darkness that are targeting my life that are trying to shut that down? And this is where my story of calling and the creativity really they do intersect because I did end up having a prayer time with my dad and some other people. And there was some stuff that came up. It wasn't that I was possessed or anything like that. There were just some assignments against my life that they were able to break off. And one of the first ones that came up through discernment was the enemy was really trying to tell me that now that I had graduated from high school, that I needed to leave my creativity behind. That creativity was childish and it was great for me to explore while I was little, but it was time to set that aside, become an adult and find, you know, a profession that was way more analytical because I am actually really good at math and science. And I had my teachers pushing me towards being an engineer or something like that. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll go that route. So I was signed up to go to college as an engineer, but this event really made me question, maybe there's something else. Cause if the enemy really doesn't want me to tap into this, then God probably has something in that area. 
So after that prayer time, my dad invited me to continue being prayer support in some of these ministry settings at this conference. And as I was just in the back praying by myself, playfully, I started asking God, like, you know, what does the battle look like? What do things look like? Just using my imagination. But I really thought that there was nothing to that. I didn't think that there was actually a vehicle that God could talk to me. But I started seeing things in my imagination before they happened in the prayer time. And I was a little crazy. And I started writing them down and handing them to my dad. And again, we were in more of a Baptist setting. People didn't really understand the gifts of the spirit very well. The only thing they understood was that there was darkness that we had authority over as Christians. And Jesus is more powerful than that. And that was really the base they were going off of. And it was working. But I started getting really detailed, like, characteristics of some of the demonic that were there and direction even of things that they were missing. And I started passing those notes to my dad. And by the end of the conference, my dad looked at me and he's like, I have no idea what's going on, but there's something in your imagination that's actually giving us intel that's super valuable in these prayer times. Do you want to start helping me with my client caseload? So for the whole rest of that year, I had taken a gap year off between high school and college. I went into my dad's office like twice a week, not to his um, confidential, like new clients, but they were clients that wanted some prayer ministry and he got permission for me to go in. And so that was really kind of the launching point of like, wow, I don't think I want to be an engineer. I think I want to work with people and help watch people walk into higher levels of freedom. But I did not at that time think that it would be a vocational thing at all. I thought I was just gonna do that off at the side. And so I ended up going to college after that year and pursued counseling, just like my dad, because I thought that would be cool to maybe go and like take over his practice. But halfway through college, I had a disruptive experience with God where he basically came to me and threw all my plans upside down. And I realized that I didn't want to go off to grad school and there must have been something else. And so then I was toying with the idea of going off to the mission field and lived with some missionaries after college that were going to go back to Indonesia. But then that fell through and I started dating my husband. And, you know, once that happened <laughs> and we got married, it's like, well, I don't think I'm charging off to the mission field as a single woman now. So all along that way, I was starting to do ministry as a lay person. That's when my art ministry that we'll talk about later started being born. The gifts that I have, one of them is the gift of discernment. That's what was starting to get activated when I was with my dad out in the native villages, this ability to discern there's something evil going on here. And what's the details of that? Or there's some God stuff going on here. And what is God's heart in this situation? It can flip flop back both directions. But it wasn't until just a couple months ago, maybe like six or eight months ago, that God finally showed up in my prayer time. Actually, I was getting dressed in my new closet and was talking to God and being all grateful. And he said really clearly in my thoughts, I want you to get ordained now totally out of left field. It felt like I was like, wait, what? We had just gone through this huge move and transition, but I was obedient. So that call to ministry had been stacking over years and years and years as I was doing ministry, I was doing prayer ministry. I was doing evangelism, all that stuff. But as far as the official process of being ordained is rather new for me. God, as a artist who um, communicates God's heart, 
I was invited to conferences a lot of the time and I wasn't an official pastor and I wasn't officially on leadership, but I got to pray with them and be in the back and eat their food. And that was great. But he kind of convicted. He's like, you need to actually get ordained and like not just be jumping in and jumping out with your ministry, but actually be more of a solid piece to that because you have the capacity for it. Okay. So this is interesting. And this is fascinating. And I have lots of things I want to go back to talk about. <laughs> like this is why I said, we'll just see what the spirit does because mm-hmm. <laughs> say stuff and I'm like but I really want to talk about that um <laughs> okay so you had left that church and you're searching the scriptures because I mean first of all I mean if you're going to answer that call you already know you're what you're up against you're already going to be getting pushback <laughs> you know just for having a call in your life and then you're going to have additional pushback because of your gender so you better know that you know that you're called <laughs> so how did you end up then how did you end up there? Were you already in the Free Methodist Church when you start, when God was saying, okay, now it's time? Yes. So when I left to go to college, you know, I went from Alaska to Oregon. And the very first week that I was on campus, I had an encounter with a senior who pegged me as somebody who needed some mentorship. And she dragged me into her car. Well, no, I agreed to go. And took me off campus. And I ended up meeting my now pastor, Pastor Dye. So I have been mentored by her ever since. So it's been over a decade now that I've known her. I did not go to her church initially, but she was an amazing voice in my life. And she is in the Free Methodist Church and she's ordained. So an ordained pastor dropped in my lap before I ended up actually going to her church. I spent seven years in a vineyard church. A lot more charismatic, which it was almost like the polar opposite of the church that I had been going to. But I needed that because that year before I moved to Oregon, I started having all of these experiences. I ended up at a conference that had like speaking in tongues and healings happening right and left. So it's like this whoosh of what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing was hitting my life, but I had no mentorship. So God was really faithful to drop me in this other church that was well-established, had lots of mother-like women around me who were not afraid to challenge me, not afraid to help mold and discern with me so that I wasn't like the one crazy lady who was getting prophetic words and having all this stuff happen. He stepped me in a company of people who that that was normal. And they were able to call out when I was getting off the rails a little bit, which happened while I was in college and they helped set me straight there. So it was a great training ground of this is what ministry can look like. But it was a church that didn't have a lot of women in leadership. Mm-hmm. After my husband and I got married, my husband's amazing, by the way. One of the first things he noticed before we started dating was that I was a leader and I was called to that. And that's exactly who he wanted to be with. He's like, I want to be with a strong woman who hears the Lord, who is ready to be in leadership. And not because he has a call for the limelight necessarily, but because he wants that power in his house, if that makes sense. Um, He's an amazing man and we've had a fantastic marriage. But a year after we got married, both of us separately felt like God was telling us that he was moving us churches, which was weird because there wasn't like huge strife going on at the church we were at. And I thought I was going to be there till the day I died, but God had other plans. And so we ended up moving to the Free Methodist Church without knowing really what they were, (laughs) but just because we felt God said to go and because we had relationship with the pastors there and they had been pastoring us a little bit more we felt like we needed more pastoring in our life and it's just kind of more from there so we've been in the free methodist church for about five years now 
Were you at, a, was it a Christian university you're attending? I was, I was at George Fox, which is the oh. undergrad for Portland Seminary. I, the vineyard thing explains a lot, right? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, you came out as non-denominational, which yeah, is yeah. Baptist, and yet now you're in the free Methodist. I'm like, and so I, anyway, so I worshiped in a Catholic church for four years as a new believer, but I was part of the charismatic renewal side of the Catholic church. Oh, fun. So Right. So I had that influence coming into the church of the, and that's so I'm sorry, but coming into the church of the Nazarene, which also is really odd. I find odd about the, about the vineyard church of being so charismatic. And yet at the same time, they really don't promote, you know, I mean, how can you hang your hat on Acts chapter two and then be like, well, you can, we'll let you prophesy, but you just have to stay in the pew. You can't lead a church. Honestly, I feel like part of the reason why God has moved my husband and I more over to the Wesleyan stream is I feel like God wants to do some more of what we gleaned from in the Vineyard Church over here. And I'm seeing that starting to happen. So it's super exciting. It's kind of sitting there and being like, oh God, what are you going to do next? How are you going to wholly disrupt <laughs> these people that are around me? And fortunately, the church that we are in right now actually merged with a more charismatic church about... I don't know. It was before we came. So maybe like 10 years ago, something like that. And so there's a DNA there and the pastors are way on board. But as I sit there, I'm like, man, there's so much more that God wants to do here. And I'm so excited to see how that's going to happen. Yeah. Jen Wesley was much more charismatic than we want to give him credit for. I still want to talk about the creativity part. You, you have, you <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. You're asking. Okay. You said, made a comment about the gift of discernment. And so, and I want you to flesh this out. Okay. Because I think this goes, it, it will tie in with your creativity part, especially for people who are listeners who tend to not be as charismatic leaning. Um, how is the gift of discernment different from or similar to the just natural intuition that we have as human beings? How do you foster that? But that, I know that part, that second part of the question might be answered down the road. I know when you get into the creativity. <laughs> Let's just start with this part. How is the gift of discernment different or similar to just natural intuition that we have? Right. Well, I think um, you're onto something that sometimes it can look kind of similar. I heard it described really well that the gift of discernment is kind of like when you have an electrical outlet plug and you're plugging into that power. It's discerning where that power is coming from. What's the source? Is this what's going on from God? Is it from the enemy? Or is it from the flesh, like there's some soulish stuff going on? I've had times, um, especially with leaders, where I'm sitting under them or I'm in a sermon and something is just buzzing inside me. It's like they're saying all the right things. They're super like, I don't know, they're preaching well, but I'm like, there's something off. And I can't quite put my finger on it, but I'm just uncomfortable right now. Like, Ah, so um, sometimes I find out years later, oh, that person was in the process of betraying this organization or other things were going on. As far as what the gift of discernment looks like for me, if I'm plugged into it, I don't have it going all the time. It's any gift of the spirit. I would say that there's a level of control over it. You have to ask for it. You can choose to shut it off. I think people do that a lot with gifts of the spirit when they're weird. It's like, God, I don't want that. Like, stop it. And he does, he freezes it. But if I'm tuning in or putting my antennas up, so to speak, I can get really specific things about people and about situations and about places if I want to. And I don't think natural discernment or, you know, intuition can give you that. I can have people sharing their stories sometimes or just be around them. And I can list off 
know sins that they've done, things that they're wrestling with. And yet the reason why God would share that with me is because that means he has the opposite for them. So I very rarely, like never go up to someone and be like, you know what? I can tell that you're wrestling with porn just by being next to you. It's wow. I just feel this heart of God over you that he has a higher level of purity for you, that he wants to restore relationships soon in your life that might've been broken because of decisions that you've made. That's very different than being like, you are sinning. God is mad at you. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. I think, I think it does. And it also embraces the more optimistic, I think shaping a scripture that, especially for those who are Wesleyan holiness, you know, we, we tend to have an optimistic view of scripture. And uh, if the if the gifts of the spirit are, if the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, right? Then that's how he wants to come to us, right? He wants to come yeah. to us with love, loving, love with love and kindness and gentleness um, to redirect us. Uh, gentle parenting. I think that's the new PC. I am still working with my dad to help him with his prayer ministry, even though I'm here in Oregon. And the way that looks like in this season is I will literally get a text from him saying, Hey, I have a session. I don't know name. I don't know who they are. I don't even know their gender. And what I do is I go and I pray. And because I have practiced this gift for so many years, it comes very fast. It used to be, I had to take like an hour or so to press in and be like, God, what are you saying? You know? It takes five minutes now, and I can bang out a list of things that have been harassing them in their lives. And a lot of times they have names like porn or anger or suicide or depression. And 99% of the time that has been accurate. There's no way you could have gotten that with just natural discernment when you have nothing to go off of. Okay, we're going to go back to go forward. So let's talk about your gifting. So your gifts, your talents. Your, your creative abilities. Yes. So but I want to go back to when did you notice this heightened sense of creativity? How did it express itself early on? And then like, what kind of things did you do to cultivate that in your life? So I was really blessed to be raised in a family that believed in extracurricular activities and was in tune with the gifts that were developing in their kids. And so when I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher that retired, an art teacher who turned her garage into a private art studio and called my parents saying, do you want your daughter to be in one of my classes? These classes only allowed eight kids per class. And my parents asked if I wanted to, and I said, yes. And so I was in those private art lessons until I was a sophomore in high school. So it was a seven year stint of pretty much every week getting to explore different art mediums. She always had a theme. She always changed up what we were doing. You'd usually start with like a drawing or watercolor project. And by the end of the five week session, we were doing paper mache or sculpting of some sort or something wild and crazy. And so I, during that time, I was able to dabble in a lot of different art forms. And that was really formative not just of getting to explore things that I liked, but also getting affirmed that you can be creative. I think that most people are creative, but when they're younger, they don't have people affirming that. And so it kind of gets buried. It kind of gets dormant. And it's sometimes not until later in life when they realize, wow, 
when I sit down and I write a story or I sit down and paint just a little bit, like I feel so much life and vitality. What is this? So I did have training in that regard. Once I stopped going to those classes, I intentionally made sure that I had an art class all the time that I was in school, except for my first semester of college. And that's when I realized I really needed it. <laughs> like I said, I went, and I got a psychology degree. And so my first semester was like all like theology and psychology. And I'm like, I need a creative outlet. I'm dying right now. So although I did not get an art minor, I probably could have with the, the way that I was structuring my classes. And it was in college that I took a painting class and got my butt whooped in it. <laughs> it was actually really humbling. I was one of two students that weren't art majors in it. So I was not living and breathing the art like the other kids were, and they were so good. I was like, I feel so inadequate. I was used to like sketching out what I was going to do. My art teacher, my painting teacher was like, no, you paint the whole background and then you just paint to roughly sketch it out and you just go for it. I'm like, but after that class, I could see progression. It was at that point in my life that I had had that experience that I mentioned before of having my discernment start to pick up and starting to realize how God speaks to me, how his voice sounds to me. And part of that is getting pictures. I'm a very visual person. A lot of the words that God gives me is in picture form. And as I was doing this painting class, I decided to take it a second time. So I did painting too. And I watched my pieces get better. And at that point, I realized I could do it in my dorm room. And that was the time where there was this merge of, I can be in prayer, I can get pictures from God, and then I can put it on canvas so that other people can see it more accurately than if I just explain it to them. And that's where the ministry started birthing. I didn't realize the extent that it was going to happen. I was just doing it for fun. And, but then after I graduated from college, I was having tea with my mentor, who is the free Methodist pastor. And she's like, I have a confession. I said, what? She said, I just got asked to be a speaker at our annual women's conference in Oregon. And I may or may not have volunteered you to do art for it. And I was like, really? <laughs> you did, did you? And I had just gotten to that point where I was like, you know what? I've seen people paint on stage before. I had seen it at conferences outside of the churches that I was going to. And I was like, I think I would like to do that. I like being on stage. I have no problem being in front of people. And I feel like my artistic ability is at that point where I'd be willing to do that. And she was the one who opened the door. It wasn't the Vineyard Church. After I started doing it at conferences for the Free Methodist Church, I got some invitations in the Vineyard Church to paint during worship nights, but it was never on stage. It was usually in the back. And I don't think that was because I was a woman. I think that was because it was still new and our stage was kind of small <laughs> at our church. So I started in the Free Methodist Church really being involved as a guest painter at these women's conferences. And I did that for four or five years before we actually went into the Free Methodist Church. Yeah, that's where that ministry started. Now, is that your full-time now? Is that your full-time ministry? No, it's just a piece of it. So how would you shape your whole ministry then? Is it, are you, are you on staff at a church or? I'm not paid right now besides the entrepreneurial things that I do with my art. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Um, I worked in the corporate world for about five years after graduating college in the real estate industry. Very humbling experience. <laughs> um, but once 
COVID hit, actually, I lost my job and it was the best thing ever. And then three months later, I had my daughter. So I was already phasing out, but God gave me an extra, my last trimester to be able to be creative and finish up projects instead of having to go to a nine to five. Sell your paintings. You're selling both paintings and prints, which my daughter was like, I need to talk to her about how she gets her paintings and makes them prints. She's self-taught and I'm like, you really need to make these into prints. Give me a synopsis of what this workshop was that you taught. That's another thing that I feel like the Lord is starting to bring me into. I actually, the workshop was almost like a teaser trailer for an online course that I launched this year. I have an online course that hopefully I can give you the link to. That is a three and a half hour long course on what does it look like to connect with God in picture form? It's not something that's taught very much, but there is plenty of biblical precedent for it. So I spend a bunch of modules talking about the Hebrew and what are dreams and visions and how does God use those? Because those are all picture forms. Like you just have to jump into the prophets and you're like, wow, these are weird pictures. <laughs> what? And God would usually give them the weird vision or the picture and then he'd bring an interpretation. And the church doesn't do a lot of that now, but God still likes to talk that way. Sometimes pictures can rattle us and take us out of what we're used to in the physical and God can describe that. So having a picture from God can do two things. I mean, it can do more than that, but one of them is it can portray an idea more like a metaphor that helps us grasp a concept or an idea that he wants us to, to get better, whether that's his love or how, yeah, how he sees us, how he sees the world, his word. And that can be really helpful and really meaningful to people. Or he can give a picture that shows what's really going on in the spirit realm or somebody's heart or somebody's ministry. And that picture can be a pivotal point of revealing and unveiling so that we can walk into freedom, so that we can choose God's ways. If I was to describe my ministry as a whole, like all the pieces of what I feel God has called me to be, I would say that I am called to reveal what's being hidden, whether that's the atmosphere, spiritual atmosphere of what's going on in a room, what God is doing, what the enemy wants to do, or what's going on in someone's heart that God wants to address or confirm. Sometimes God gives pictures because someone is walking in the ways that he wants them to be. And he wants to encourage them basically saying, good job, son or daughter. Like, I see you. I see the sacrifices that you're making. I see that you're choosing me. And I want you to know that I see you. Keep going, like be encouraged. I think that the, the mission of somebody who is being able to hear God's voice clearly is to encourage others. It's not like a lot of people see maybe prophets in the Old Testament where it's like correction, like I'm calling you back to God. It's like, that's a small piece especially with somebody who is walking in God's ways. He's not trying to nitpick and dig down all the time to the things that we need to correct. Like he's a loving dad. It's that gentle parenting like you were talking about. Okay. So can we dig a little bit deeper into this? How do people explore that creativity within themselves? Yeah. I want to give, I want you to give away too much out of your online course. Walk us through like a, just a simple first step of really exploring we're calling it imaginative prayer that we're calling mm -hmm. it. I would say the first step, especially if you're not used to it, is to actually create a space where you can sit and listen, where you're not distracted. 
it is so easy to be like, oh yeah, that thing I needed to do, or, you know, to pull away. We're not used to in our culture, actually sitting and praying (laughs) very well, you know, putting on some music. But I would say the other really important thing is rededicating your imagination to God. I talk about in my course, how the imagination, it's a gift from God, but it's kind of like a blank canvas. And God's not the only one that can fill it and throw stuff in there. It can be just your, your soul can whip things up. You know, that's one of people like, is that picture from, you know, the meal I had last night? Like, what is that? Or it can be the enemy. The enemy is actually really good at slipping things in, whether that's getting you to watch a movie that didn't have some good content in it, or just, you know, whipping up anger, other things like that. So rededicating that imagination to God, praying, you know, God, I want to hear from you. I want to have you cleanse my imagination. Holy Spirit, I choose choose you in this and I ask you to do work so that I can receive from you. The very first time that I got a picture, I was 18 and I was having some prayer time. I had had a season where there was acceleration, desire to read the word. It was right when I was graduating high school and I was reading a book that talked about hearing from God in a other ways outside of just reading the text. And so I was journaling as though I was talking with God and he was talking back just to experiment. And I asked him the question, what did my heart look like to him? Because I was in the middle of a debate with my pastor, whether the heart is wicked or whether the heart is good now that we're a new creation. And, you know, that whole thing that can sometimes happen in conservative churches. But I was like, God, putting all the arguments aside, like, I just want to know, like, what does my heart look like to you? And I got nothing. But because my dad had been starting to walk in this deliverance ministry and he was bringing back stories, I had this thought of, well, maybe there's something that's trying to block me from hearing God. And so I just prayed a simple prayer, God, if there's anything blocking my imagination right now or blocking your voice, like I reject it. And it was the weirdest thing. It literally felt like these black veils were being pulled away from my imagination. And I saw a picture. Nobody ever told me that God talked in pictures still. And I saw this picture of this beautiful, delicate pink flower. And I got so mad at him. (laughs) I was in a season where I was very much a tomboy. I was playing paintball with my guy friends. I didn't want to be a delicate flower. In fact, I didn't. There were moments where I was like, man, I just wish I was a boy. Like they had so much more fun than the girls did around where I was at. That was the beginning. So the very first real picture I got with God was this invitation into the journey into my femininity and realizing how beautiful that is and that I can be powerful and strong and still feminine in his eye and how he sees me that way. And he did that on purpose. He made me a woman on purpose and it's something to be embraced and that it can be, like I said, powerful. So that was the first time I got a picture and it did, it required this prayer of move, remove the blocks, remove the barriers. What you said about the idea of the, the gender piece and wrestling with that, I think that's probably pretty typical for a lot of women who are called in the ministry. I wonder if it's really, our culture has programmed us so much to say, here's what women are allowed to do. And here's what men are allowed to do. And so, so then we have this internal wrestling, right? We have the spirit leading us in one way. And, but, but we have this, uh, the culture saying, that's not what women do. And so we do, because and I, I've, I had that similar experience and I've heard other women too say the same thing of, man, I wish I wasn't 
I wasn't, wish I wasn't a woman, right? I wish I was, and then of course the fill in the blank is because then I could do blah, 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 right? Yeah, um, for many of us who have that call in their lives, we have to get to that point where we do accept who God has made us. Like we're not called in spite of our gender, we're called because of our gender. It's, you know, God didn't say, oh, well, you're a woman, but I can still use you. God's like, no, yeah. I want to use you, all of you. And that includes your gender, your personality, you know, the context that you, how you were raised, all of that to shape you. And, and I'm going to use that for my kingdom. I was having this wrestling match before I knew that I had a call to ministry, that it actually didn't have to do with that. It had more to do with my personality. I don't know if you know much about personality theory, um, but I am actually a choleric. That's my primary mode. And a choleric is someone who values being in positions of leadership and power and wants to get things done. And as you know, if you look at the disc, I'm a driver. I was usually the leader in things. And so that was more where it was coming from. It was like, I want to be able to make things done. I want to be powerful. I want to be respected. It's just way more fun to do the things that the guys are doing than to go and have tea parties or I don't even know. I had more guy friends than girlfriends when I was in high school. And it wasn't until college that God started bringing me about around good Christian women. And I started figuring out how to be able to navigate that. I, yeah. So it's interesting. Once I did feel like I had a call to ministry, I already had those kinks worked out and I already had this identity that was solidified of you know what? I'm called to do this. So I'm going to do it. Like God's going to make a way. <laughs> I also had the advantage of by that point I was dating and with a guy who was amazing and totally believed in women in ministry. He's the one I ended up marrying and really fueled that piece of who I was, that part of my identity. He saw it, he called it out. Just a great, great life partner. And what's his faith background? So his name's Aaron. I should probably say his name because he's amazing. He actually didn't get saved until he was an adult. And we have a 10-year age gap. So I'm 10 years younger than he is. So he got saved in his 20s. He has an amazing testimony. Basically, God whacked him up beside the head with his glory. Like it like physically manifested to him and pulled him out of a life of hard drugs and bad choices. And he had some mental health stuff going on that got completely healed. Like, yeah, it's a radical, amazing testimony. And so he got plugged into some really cool college ministries where he was at, but he didn't go to college until he was 26. And then he was in college for forever because he loves learning and had basically a decade of being single and pouring into the word of God. He's incredibly bright. He has books that he's writing right now. Like he was raised in a household that had Buddhism in it and atheism in it and ended up getting saved into a culture that was much more charismatic because he had experienced it on the dark side. He had experienced dream interpretation and seeing the demonic and all that. And so he knew when he got saved, he's like, well, there's gotta be a, something in the kingdom of light that has that too. Let's talk about your story. Uh, you are, it's fiction, but is it also your story too? No, it's not. I, you know, I started writing stories when I was in junior high. So that's another thing that like alongside of doing the, the art creativity, I was always writing stories. And by the time I was graduated from high school, I actually had a full novel written out and was starting to look for publishing. I got convicted while I was in college that there was some stuff in that story that God didn't like. And so I erased the entire thing. So I had written and done all of the work for a novel only to have it be deleted. 
which was hard. And so I didn't know if I was going to ever write stories like that again. I knew I would probably write, you know, my testimony or do other kinds of writings, but I didn't know if the fantasy genre was going to come back for me because that ties into the discernment piece. There's a lot of darkness in the fantasy genre, in the fantasy world. And now that I am way more sensitive to images and ideas, there's a lot of it I can't consume. I can't go there. Years later, I was standing at the coffee machine at my day job and an idea for a story just like hit me. And I kind of looked around and I'm like, did that just happen? Like I gave this up years ago and took it to my mentor, took it to my husband. I'm like, I don't want to be deceived again. Is this a distraction for the things we're doing this season? Like, I don't know. And both of them are like, no, you should pursue that. And so I started crafting this world and crafting these ideas. And part of what drew me to it was it's an arena where I can explore things of the supernatural that I've experienced in real life, but make it a little bit brighter, a little bit more blatant in this fantasy story to be able to convey ideas that are true but people might not know are true so I have a spiritual world in my story anyway so I started working on the story it was kind of on the back burner and then COVID hit and the whole world shut down and for my husband and I it was actually like one of the best times ever our marriage is really solid and so we loved being together we were about to have our first child and that gave me space to really start pouring into this novel. And at the same time that COVID hit, my husband was like, well, I think I want to write a fantasy novel too. And so we started in tandem writing these fantasy novels. They're actually in the same universe. At first we we're going to have them on the same planet. That didn't work. We realized we couldn't play in the sandbox that close. And so we have two separate planets that are close enough that every seven years they pass each other and actually affect the other world. Anyway, so it almost became this spurring each other on and we'd write a chapter and we'd critique it with each other. He actually worked in a writing center for a long time. So he's an amazing editor. It's just, it was an amazing experience. And we both have finished our first drafts of those novels. And he has started the beta reader process with people. So he's been gathering beta readers and I am inches away from doing that myself. We're going to be going to a writer's conference in April to start looking for agents. Like it's super exciting and I feel God's favor on it. So I don't know how long it'll take us to get published, but we are hoping to go the traditional route. We have a lot of friends who've done self-publishing, but we want to give it a shot. My son loves that genre. That's his favorite. As you were talking though, it did make me think of like C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Mm -hmm. Some of those, which I have enjoyed. Quite a lot of Christians or people that I know enjoy writing, reading fantasy. And I feel like there needs to be more Christians that rise up and create godly quality work. I think there's some out there that are like, yeah, this is really kind of preachy and it's not the greatest writing, but it's Christian. So we know it's safe, right? It's like, well, can we have like excellence in storytelling and excitement and good ideas? And have it coming from a Christian background, not necessarily telling the Jesus story. Like there's a lot of other stories that can be told in an exciting way. Yeah. And I think that was kind of what I was saying early on is this idea we've given up on creativity of why is it, why is the Christian content so lame? You know, like, know. Come on. We, if we are filled with the, with this creator of the universe, you're the creator of the universe, can we please just do the work, do the work of honing your craft and getting educated and like you said thinking beyond the you know the four gospels and 
Killing those. Yeah, it's almost like the the Christian artistic world. There's almost this like narrowing. It's like if you're not specifically doing the Jesus story, you're wandering away from what is okay to do. And I just don't believe that. Like you said, honing your craft super important. There's podcasts that Aaron and I listen to about writing. He's got tons of books. He's dove in more into the craft side of that than I have just because I'm bouncing between two mediums. But I mean, I still have an art teacher. Here I am, I'm painting on stage. Um, I was gonna say that another thing that I do is I do commission work for people. So people will bring a word from God that they wanna remember and I get to create a piece from it. And that's so much fun, but I still have an art teacher because I think that's important. Right, well, you um, should, I mean, any, any craft, anybody who's doing, you think about any, any field like that, uh, baseball players have you know, coaches and continually honing their craft, you know, uh, so not just in sports, but in any of our fields, well, at least we should be, you know, I, I have a mentor and a coach. And so lifelong learning is important. So kind of for closing, thinking about people who have a call in their life, who they recognize that there's some kind of a creative, their ministry is going to have some kind of creative aspect to it. So just advice you have in them responding to the call, especially because if it's not like, hey, I'm called to preach or write Bible studies, then they're kind of like, ah, oh, I have this sense that God's calling me, but what now will I do that? I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've kind of talked about pieces of that all throughout this podcast. I'd say one really important thing is practice your craft or practice what you feel like you're called to, even if you don't have an audience for it yet, practice it and enjoy the process. If it happens to be writing, practice it. If it's art, another thing that I think is really important is finding that coach, finding that mentor. If you don't have it in your life, pray for it, ask for it, be aware of it. If it's music, go find a music teacher. If it's writing, go find some podcasts or some books and material on how to be a better storyteller. I think the biggest thing is to realize that it's not the end of the world if you fail or if you get the wrong, you know, in my case, the wrong word for somebody. If I share a word that I think is from God and they're like, I got nothing like that doesn't resonate at all. It's oh, okay. Well, at least I did my job of saying what I thought was going on. That's all I'm responsible for. And then also if you're an artist, if someone doesn't like your art, that's okay. You can get better. And sometimes people have different tastes. So giving yourself that grace to fail, to not necessarily be accepted right away. God will show you if you're called to it, and that's the question that you asked me. If you have a call and you feel like there's some creative bent to it, don't hide it under the rug. I've seen a lot of people do that because they're self-conscious about it or they think maybe they're hearing wrong from God. It's like, how could that be part of my calling? It's like, give it a try. Test the word. Ask, see what happens. You have to be willing to step out and take a risk. Okay, can I do something really kind of weird? You can say no, or we can just cut it up. Would you be willing to give a word of prophetic discernment for the listeners? Absolutely. Give me a second to pray and see what God wants to say. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Thank you for the opportunity to speak on this podcast. Thank you that you have raised up people who want to do podcasts for your glory and for your name. And so I know there's all different kinds of listeners that are probably listening right now. So what do you have to say? Okay, so the picture that I'm getting might not apply to all of you that are listening, but if it does, maybe you should reach out to Joanne and let her know. So I see a picture of a stream. You, the listener, are standing on the bank of it and you know you're supposed to walk across it. And it represents 
ministry opportunity, but you feel like because it's running water, every time you step your foot in it, you're not making an impact. You know, you pull your foot up and it's like nothing changes. And there's a frustration inside of you being like, does what I'm doing really matter? It doesn't look like it at all. And I feel like what God is saying is you need to wade out into the river, even if it looks like you're making no impact at all. You know, every time you lift up your foot, the water just rushes back in. And as you go, every step that you take, God in his supernatural strength is actually raising up rocks from the riverbed and it's becoming a path. So the farther you walk into this river, this stream, you are actually creating a path that other people can walk across. And it does change the flow of the river. Oh, yeah. Change the flow of the river. Nice. Well, thanks. That's a a very different word of advice that anybody has ever given so far. I suspect that there'll be a uh, people that that will be exactly what they need when they need to hear it. 